0: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the listeners' choice winner. If you're not sure how the listeners' choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is People, Safety and Horse Welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest is Anne Batley. Anne's a dressage specialist, trainer, coach and coach educator, and she also brings in a wealth of knowledge from stock horse background and camp drafting. How are you today, Anne?
1: I'm fantastic, thanks, Glenis.
0: Fantastic. And I'm looking forward to hearing your favourite quote. Well,
1: (laughs) are you ready for it? Yes. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. It was by Henry Ford.
0: Yep. Now, when did you first hear that? Who told that to you?
1: I probably read it in a book. And that was probably only about 10 years ago. I wish I'd heard it when I was at school, really, but it just had a profound effect on me because I've always been super positive and I found that a lot of people aren't necessarily that positive. But if I thought I could, I could.
2: Yep. And yep. then this
1: guy said, if you think you can't, you're right. And I found a lot of people do that. They say, oh, I can't do that. And I think, well, you know, <laughs> like you're telling yourself you can't.
0: Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And any students or any incidents in particular that you want to talk about with that? i mean i can I can well, think of it myself and think, yep, i I can see that, and you're absolutely correct, but I just thought you might want to bring in a story or bring in something.
1: Absolutely, actually, because when I started being so super positive about horses and everything, when I started to compete, I got most people really discouraged me from, you know, they'd say, oh, you you haven't been doing dressage long enough, you can't go to championships yet, your horse is too little, your saddle's wrong, like, they certainly didn't say, well, let's get with it and go, Mm. they did the opposite, but that just made me dig my nails in, I think, and I (laughs) thought, well, I think I can, and I jolly well will. And the interesting thing is that I did, and I was very successful right from the very start. I'm not quite sure how it went, but it just <laughs> turned out that way. Even in the first year of my dressage, I got invited onto the state dressage squad. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't think I had a clue what I was doing particularly, but I was
0: very positive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, you might even give us, you know, because that's that's a bit of a different story. But if you can tell us, first of all, how you started with horses And then we'll go on and talk about how you started with Dressage.
1: Oh, God. I don't think anyone's got this story, Glenis. I had a father that was a bank manager Mm -hmm. and we lived in country Victoria. And we moved around all the time. Every couple of years we'd get a move. And from as long as I can remember, I just had this deal with horses. I just loved them. I just wanted to be with horse. And he wouldn't let me. So I wouldn't be denied, though. I had a brother and we would go around the local country town and we found a paddock that had horses. They're probably ponies when I look back, Mm. but we knew nothing about them. But we would just climb the fence. The horses would come up. Richard would boost me onto the horse. He would (laughs) bolt on and they'd just go across the paddock. And obviously my brother used to know if they were getting a bit dicey and he'd just yell out and he'd say, roll off like an Indian. (laughs) And I did. So my first riding was riding horses that I didn't know, no saddle, no bridle, actually no idea. But I thought it was just fantastic fun. I was an Indian in my head and I was riding and I was in heaven, really. Mm
2: -hmm. And that's
1: where it all started. And I actually didn't get a horse of my own until I married. (laughs) And we got our farm where I am now. So it was very late to start in the horsey field most people, I suppose, they don't start at the age of 20 or anything.
0: And, and I'm thinking about, you know, some instructors I know and, you know, would be cringing at the thought of someone learning to ride on horses, just, you know, unknown horses, as you say, no saddle, no bridle, no control, just get <laughs> on, roll off if they get a bit fast, yep. <laughs> it
1: was insane, really, but that's, yeah. that's how
0: it started. Yeah, yeah. And now when you first started riding, did you start riding in dressage, start riding in other disciplines? How did that start?
1: Yes, now when we got here to the farm I started and I also had a dream of you know being at the royal show and things like that so I started at just hacking. Mm-hmm. Probably that was the first thing I started to do and I achieved that goal and went to the royal show and at that stage I'd met another lady in the local town and she was riding dressage and competing and i watched her ride and i thought oh no this is what i've got to do i've got to do dressage mm-hmm. and so she really started the ball rolling and the horse i had was too small to do dressage officially mm-hmm. and i never contemplated doing anything except official and doing well <laughs> That positive mindset. <laughs> so, we were at a Christmas party and we were just talking to the fellow sitting next to us who was a farmer, and we were talking horses. and He said, You need my horse if you're going to do dressage, he'd be wonderful. So, we went and looked the next day and we came home with a 15 two hand X race horse that he'd been playing polo cross on and clerk of the course at the Narragin races, and he was eight years old and that's where we started and he was my best dressage horse okay and he took me to yeah he took me everywhere that that yep. little horse it was amazing yep.
0: and then for, what was his name
1: i called him ceramic okay mickey mouse's name was for short we used to call him mickey <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, we started, every every horse I had had to start with an S, so it was ceramic with an S, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all my horses after that all started with S's.
0: Okay, okay. And was it ceramic then that you went on to the state squad? Yes, Yeah,
1: straight yep,
0: away, yep. yes. Okay. But from F- there, you know, I mean, from someone who's riding unknown horses and who knows what could have happened, <laughs> to waiting until you're married to get your, you know, your ex-race horse because you need a dressage horse, you know, you've gone on there and you've become a professional. So what made you want to keep going? Was it still that positive mindset that you were talking about?
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm. I just wanted to achieve. If someone was doing that higher level, I just wanted to be there. Mm. I did mm. even think about Olympics, mm-hmm. you know, like, nothing like positive.
2: I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But I was just, maybe it was just the people that I was involved with put me in line with really good trainers that mm. really helped me.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and
1: encouraged me. I didn't have many trainers and all the ones that I did have were really high-class dressage coaches, really. Yep, yep. And they just fueled my ambition to 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 do well, I
0: suppose. It was good, though, that you had to be open to learning to listen to advice, though. So that was good, yeah.
1: I was probably a difficult person to teach, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But I did start reading, you know, they recommended reading and I I think I've read and read and read and bought more and more books and, yeah, I just soaked it all up. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't do that anymore, I think. A lot of people are in a different... a lot of the riders now are in a different position financially even they can buy a horse that's already going at grand prix and they Mm. they don't have to learn like an indian and they (laughs) hop on and off they go it was completely different for me i we had no money and i think we bought a horse for 16 bags of oats we traded And he went to the state, he went to the National Dressage Championships. I mean, it was, you know, people say you need this and you need that, you need an expensive horse or whatever, but I think you just need great desire and willingness, like you say, to learn and and to try and try until you just get better and better at it. Okay. But I think, I love the horse, So I, I think that's something, too, that you've really got to love the horse you're working with. Yep, yep. Yep. You know, like I just couldn't buy one out of the paper or off from a video. I had to personally see the beast and there would be some connection for me and I'd say, yeah, I'm going to take him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you said you had some great trainers early on. Who has influenced you? Who are those trainers or who's the, the person who, Um, you know, you said first of all there was someone in your local area who influenced you and then others. Have you got names for those people?
1: Well, the first one that influenced me was Gert Donvig. And the local lass, she was, her brother was involved with uh, a girl called Margo. Margo Bolt, she ended up being.
2: Mm Oh, wow.
1: And early on, I became friendly. And Margo, at that stage, used to bring out Gert Donvig. He's since passed on. So he used to come over three times a year. She would get Gert Donvig over and we would have a five-day dressage clinic and Rob would let me go, he would, I'd leave all the kids food and their clothes and everything <laughs> and I would go up to Perth and ride for five days with Gert and he was just fantastic, he he knew, he, I think he was frustrated with me but I'd say to him, you know, like, I'm really trying, <laughs> so, <laughs> and I will keep helping you, I will keep reminding you, because he said, I know you have a real passion and you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And he really, really encouraged me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Good. He was the first one that yep. set me on my path, and he rode magnificently, and, you know, and I went over to Macedon and had the chance to ride on their horses and do PF and Passage, and, <laughs> oh, you know, like... That was it for me. I just wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. You know, it was
1: wonderful. And because we were, I was already invited by the state to join the NCAS team. Mm. You know, we had Wolfgang Holzl come, and yep. he was wonderful too. He he sort of confirmed that I was doing the right thing. Like I always thought there should be lightness that the horse should carry itself, and I should teach the horse and be part of the horse. And he sort of said, "Yep, just." keep going and
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I suppose when Harry came I didn't have that many teachers I suppose, I just stuck to the same ones with that group and then when Harry Bolt came, yeah, he was just, he honed all my little higher level skills if you yep. like with dressage, he was such a master teacher mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then, yeah, they were just good, I had Nuno Oliveira and you know you talk about trainers uh, in the last ten years I suppose. We lived so far away from perth and I saw a girl ride that I taught. Yep. And she was very difficult and I'd done my best with her but I just couldn't get through what I wanted to. And I saw her this day and she was just as happy as and and I said, Who have you been having a lesson with? And she said, I've just been to Steve Brady. Have
0: okay. you heard of him? Yes I have. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. So then i thought right i have got to go and see <laughs> this man i'll have to see steve brady so i took my beautiful washed dressage horse to my first steve brady clinic and it was at a town called york in the middle of the country and i think i was the cleanest horse there with all the stock horse people it was <laughs> the first introduction to the stock horse if mm-hmm, you like mm-hmm, yes they were actually quite friendly to me good yeah he helped me in a huge way with mm. my horse mastership. I didn't have any idea about that at all. And he just was wonderful with groundwork. Yep. And that probably inspired me then to really do a lot more with that.
0: Well, what sort of groundwork exercises did he use?
1: Everything. Like he showed me how to do travers, shoulder in, half pass, mm-hmm. PF, passage, the whole bit. I could canter the horse around at the end of it on the reins just over the horse's neck and do canter pirouettes from the ground, and it was just wonderful.
2: Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah.
0: Good.
1: Yeah. But I find people don't like me teaching that to them. They get very frustrated.
0: Do they get frustrated because they think that they're paying you to teach them how to ride or because they don't get it or...?
1: No, I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head, really, mm. that mm. I came for you to ride, I don't want to fiddle around on the ground. They just don't see the value of yeah. it. Yep,
0: yep, yep. If they've got a sort of very focused goal to go out to a competition, they may not understand the value in the groundwork. Exactly, mm.
1: exactly. Mm. Yeah, as much as I'd like them to, I, I encourage people to come here and try the groundwork on my horses because because of all these back operations I've spent a lot more time on the ground
2: Mm -hmm.
1: than on top of them and they're really good you know like anyone can come and the horse knows all the exercises and the pattern and they'll start doing it even (coughs) if you're not you know but you can get a really good idea of what you can teach a horse from the ground and how you can see it and yeah they've got to know the exercise and of course when they're on top then I put them on the top of the horse, and if they start the exercise, the horse has nearly done a walk pirouette before they've even thought about it. Mm, mm. Not sure that that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Now, what's been your proudest moment?
1: I suppose it was it was really being invited onto the state dressage squad, mm-hmm. really. And I never thought that I would be, you know, like in that field and, and then going to – the nationals we went three times i mean it took us four days to drive across the nullarbor plain with our little truck and i was part of a winning team that was our best thing we did i was part of the three and we won at the nationals and i competed in the inter one with that little horse that little yep. little x race horse, 15 he was yeah. just brilliant glennis yeah. he was just the most giving little horse he would do anything mm. it was beautiful mm. and i suppose i read a few books and i read one It was by Anthony Pullman, an English guy, training show jumpers. And he wrote like three quarters of the book about show jumping was dressage. And his vision was that if you couldn't do up to canter pirouette and sequence flying changes and everything, your horse wasn't schooled enough Mm. to be going across country and jumping things you know at a gallop and things so i believed him and i only went eventing on mickey when he was already graded fei and i was doing priest and georgian into one i thought well you're probably ready now (laughs) so we started eventing (laughs) in my second year we won three events so it's only restricted novice like that's That's about as far as my courage went. So three foot six in the old scale was, you know, huge for me. And we won three events, one after the other in that year. Mm -hmm. And then everyone told me that I had to go up or get out.
0: Oh, okay, yes.
1: So I stopped eventing then because I couldn't go up. Mm. But Mm. he got a score, you know, he won on his dressage score of 30. yeah. And I expect everyone to do that. Yeah, you know, I think, well, why would, you, why would you go out there and you can't, you know, stop and start and turn and go fast and slow? Why would you want to jump when you can't do that?
0: Mm, mm.
1: But I can't convince that many of that either.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the balance, isn't it, between having the training and, you know, the dressage, as you say, to be able to do flying changes and canter pirouettes but also then having the courage to go on because a lot of people have got the courage but not necessarily the control.
1: That's exactly right. And I I think we've made a big mistake, I think, somewhere in the last 10 years or so. At the pony club level, I disagree entirely with the fact that they like the children to have fun. Mm. That's fine, but I'd like them to have balance and the horse to have fun. But they've reduced the height of everything so that the kids to have fun can go and do an eventing course of, you know, like six inches high. Mm. And I don't really see the value of that. They mm-hmm. just bang around and I don't know, I've, I've asked, been asked several times because I used to be a dressage judge, sea level dressage judge as well. So I'd get invited to judge the pony club children mm-hmm. in the dressage phase of their one-day event And I was always, I'm a very honest judge, and they said to me, you know, you can't give any of these children below five, (laughs) because they Mm. they would be unhappy. Mm. And I was a bit cheeky, I suppose, Gwyneth, and I said, so, you know, if they don't like a few cross-country jumps, they can miss a few. Mm, mm. and they always said, no, don't be silly, they've got to jump everything. Mm. So they expected them to jump every show jump and every cross-country fence, but I had to be lenient on their just their walk, drop, canter. Mm, mm. And I sort of think that they had the whole thing back to front.
0: Okay. So what do you think's the answer then with the cross-country? I mean, to do something like jumping equitation over cross-country fences or, you know, to show that you've got a little bit of training and you're not just fanging around? What's the answer?
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really good solution, really. Mm,
0: mm.
1: Like, if they, whenever I teach show jumping in my group lessons, I've learnt too over the years, I've my people skills have gotten a little bit better, thank God, but mm. I've learnt that people don't like to be told anything. Mm, you know, mm. like, don't tell me I'm doing something wrong. So I'd set up exercises that I got out of that show jumping book of Anthony Pullman's.
2: Oh, yeah, yep.
1: And... They started low, but we could go as high as they liked. But they had to be able to ride a straight line, they had to be able to turn, they had to be able to balance and you know, get a really good rhythm. And I made the exercises exceedingly difficult. They didn't look difficult, mm. but they were. They required you to really ride. And, and I found that was good because then the riders themselves realised that they weren't turning properly and that they, their line wasn't straight. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. it sort of helped them, I think, understand that there was a lot more to it than just being able to kick and point, if you like.
0: Yes, yes. I think that that sounds good. It sounds like you almost were doing jumping equitation with them within their lessons. We've just got to now introduce it as a a, cross-country, as a competition. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, now just thinking generally about if someone you know cuz you've teach people with stock horses if someone comes to you with stock horse and wants to do dressage what sort of things would you start them on what sort of exercises
1: well i think that i i start them on the ground i start everyone on the ground mm. and i ask them what you know what they're able to do and they all tell me they can do everything and i start them with the walk and the halt and i get them to move the shoulders I get okay. them to move the shoulders independently so i set up a simple exercise for everyone and i just put four witches hats out and they do a straight line to one witch's hat where they hold and they do a turn on the forehand and they do that four corners of the witch's hat, and then we come up and we do a halt and move the shoulders around like a quarter of a pirouette really yep and i do sideways as well so then they come down the center and they walk forward sideways so I teach them right from the very beginning and it doesn't matter how old they are Gwyneth the younger Mm. they are Mm. those young kids of six and seven just blow my mind how quickly (laughs) they catch on to doing all of these little sets so I get them to move the front end independently the back end independently the whole horse sideways and then I teach them how to go backwards Mm -hmm. and I asked them how they do it and they're all sure they do it well, but I haven't found anyone really over the time that can actually take their horse backwards and then straight forwards without pulling on the reins or putting pressure on their mouth. So I've taught them how to do that without pressuring the reins, like you can do it with no reins, you do it with your feet and your legs and I can teach, I don't know what it is. But the horses love the way I do it because it's mm. just horse-like. I think it just meshes with the horse and everybody gets to do it. Even the young kids can do it and they don't use any rein pressure. So I do everything that's in a higher level dressage test. And as I say to them, if no matter what discipline they're doing, no matter what they're doing, if they can move their horse forwards, backwards, sideways, then and go fast and slow, they've got everything they need to do whatever discipline. So I start right, yeah. at, right with that. I found a lot of, probably when I did dress arts, they didn't teach you how to do a shoulder in until you were sort of like about to approach elementary, by yeah, which time yep. it's really too late. Mm, mm. I don't know, there's a lot of problems with people doing it later on. They, I don't know, they have more issues than if, if you teach it early on.
0: Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory with practical components that can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Thanks. I was going to ask you about the exercises that you do because you said forwards, backwards, sideways, but sideways using the shoulder and the hindquarters independently. Do you find then if you use those sorts of exercises, you don't have to teach someone to ride forward and into a round outline because they're already doing it? Exactly. You don't say, you know, like some people think the dressage is just pulling the horse's head in and that's what they focus on. Whereas if they're doing the whole The horse has got to listen to the aids, move the shoulders, move the quarters a little bit forward, a little bit slower, a bit faster. The horse has just come into that outline. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're exactly right that the focus isn't on the head then. Mm, And you're right. It's on listening to the aids. That's what most people do. They think they've got... I've asked that question actually. I've said, who do you think is responsible for the horse's outline of the neck and the head? Mm. And 90% of the riders say, well, it's fine. I position his head and I hold him there. Mm. Mm. And that's how they ride. Mm. And that's not right. So it's trying to show them a better way that they are responsible for keying the head. I call it giving an aid. I suppose it's a rain aid, Glenis. I think that's missing in a lot of the training, that a lot of coaches do leg aids and seat aids, but no one seems to teach a rain aid. That's just automatic. You just pick up the reins and you put them on the bit. Mm, mm. But it's not that easy, is it? No,
2: No, that's right. That's right.
1: And that's good teaching them on the ground too, that if I pick up my rein... Yeah, that was reading in a book where it said that you should, the weight of the rein, if you pick up the weight of the rein with your two fingers like a cup of tea, (laughs) the Mm. horse should yield his pole to that pressure. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: And when you do that, they do it. Like, it's amazing. And they're so, most horses are so eager to please you. Mm. And they learn, they learn. It's like, you know, people might say, oh, you're doing neck reining or trick reins or whatever. But it isn't. It's just a cue for the horse. I pick up rein, you drop your pole and carry your own neck. And then I teach them how to bend left and right again with just a two finger pressure. And over the years, I've thought, well, they bite flies pretty quickly. Mm, and I right. now expect them to bend their neck that fast. Mm. Like, why not? They can bend to a fly. Mm. And I think I felt sorry for my horses over the years. That a poor old thing. You couldn't possibly do this or that. <laughs> but I'm getting, getting to the stage where I found that the less I do, the better it gets.
0: Yep. Yep. And what do you think your biggest challenge has been in the whole time that you've been riding? You know because you've had I suppose your biggest challenge was your father in the beginning because he didn't wouldn't buy your horse you know <laughs> but you know in your your last you know you're competing in your dressage and everything have you found a challenge, something that's really held you back that you've thought, well, everyone else isn't like this, you know, I just want to get rid of this challenge or you've something you've learned from the
1: challenge. Well, I suppose being positive there were. They were no insurmountable problems. I, we would just do it. We would just do it. But it doesn't help to be living in West Australia. It doesn't help mm-hmm. to be living deep in the country in Western Australia either.
0: I was going and, to say yeah, four days to a competition. days—that's yeah, a long way. <laughs>
1: that's it. And you know, the, talking about the negative, discouraging bit was that quite a few of the people living in country WA. We're told, well, if you want to, you know, you really want to compete, then you move east or you move up to mm, Perth. If, mm. Don't complain about coming up every Friday night to a competition at the equestrian centre. It's a two-hour drive, that's all. Like, we're not that far away. It's a two-hour up and a two-hour back. And my husband... He was so supportive, Glenys. I couldn't Mm -hmm. have done any of it without his support. And we used to drive up every Friday night and we'd get home at one o'clock in the morning. And if that, you know, if I want to stay on the team, that was what was required. But Mm -hmm. we did it anyway because that's just part and parcel of it. And I didn't ever want to move. And Mm -hmm. you have to go east if you want to compete. And so Mm -hmm. we went east several times. I went over there to ride and sometimes to train but I think too that I learned something that you have to believe in yourself and you just want to you're training most of the time by yourself like I didn't have somebody there every day looking me over and helping me so mm-hmm. I think some riders have too little coaching I think some riders get so oh, dependent on their coach that they can't ride without them. mm mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that if you want something badly enough, you're just prepared to do it. We never had a lot of money either. But we saved up to do whatever we needed to do. And I mean, gosh, I started by making my own jodhpurs and I looked like it too, I might add. Making my own gear and, you know, I was probably laughed at. I mean, the first lady that I asked to give me a lesson, the very first one, the mm. very first show I ever went to, that was a lady. And she just looked magnificent and she was hacking. And she just looked fantastic, like raw show quality. And I'm living in the country and I look like, I don't know what I look like, but definitely not professional. (laughs) And I rode up to her after she'd won an event and I was so excited. I mean, I'm all of 22 here, like a little Mm. child really though. And I said, I would love it if you could give me some lessons. And she looked at me Mm. and she was so rude. She said, I wouldn't be bothered giving you any lessons. You'll never make a rider. (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, Whoa, you rude lady? <laughs> and I thought, I'll show you. <laughs> and that actually that same day she went in an event, poor woman, with another girl in a pair of hacks and the horse kicked her and broke her leg. And she actually never oh, rode no. after that. Oh, wow. But, wow. you know, that didn't put me off. That just made me more no. determined.
0: <laughs> do it more.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't know. There was nothing that stopped me. I did whatever I had to do. <laughs>
0: okay. Now, you've written a book called Simply Dress Such. Yes. Tell me why you wrote the book.
1: The main reason I wrote the book was I was trying to achieve my NCAS Level 3 and I, mm-hmm. had to do, I had to do a special, I don't know what they call it, but I had to do something that was pretty unique and special and it had to be a thousand words or whatever. So I thought what was the thing that I needed the most as a writer? and it was asking questions of my trainers, coaches, and they didn't give me any answers. They wouldn't answer me. It was like I was an annoying... This is when you were first starting, was it? no, uh, it wasn't even then. I was on the state squad, and they just thought, maybe they thought I knew, and they just tell me to be quiet and do it, but it wasn't enough. I needed something that was a little bit more in-depth for me and so Mm -hmm. i wrote this book to put it in very simple terms i thought there's got to be a lot of not naturally gifted writers i'm not a naturally gifted writer so i needed a bit of extra (laughs) help. so i wrote this book from many other books it's nothing of my own input particularly at all except for the drawings that i loved (laughs) but I wrote it so that I could just put it in very simple terminology for people to help them with a little, like a little Bible. They could just flip open if they wanted to know how their seat should be and shoulder in or half past their weight. And for a lot of people, that's probably way too above their level, but it's something that they can come back to. And then they open the book and there it is. And I've had a lot of feedback from the guys that have bought the book over the years, and they've all said it's really been simple and it has helped them in a very simple way. So I think it's okay. achieved its purpose, really. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I was going to say within the book, you've got common corrections yes. and, or common problems and how to correct it. And I try and give the listeners something that they can take away. It might be a common problem that they have, or if they're a coach, it might be a common problem that a student's got. So can you pull one or two of those out and talk about what you see as common problems and then how to fix them?
1: Well, I suppose I've got one of the common faults and corrections I had was with neck bending only. I think there's a lot of confusion about how much you should flex a horse when you're particularly, say, riding a circle. Most of us have too much neck bend in. So I try to teach people how to have, like, a straight neck riding a circle, Mm -hmm. and it's a very peculiar thing to say. But if you draw a circle on the ground yourself or on a board and you draw in the horse, like in my book I have, like, aerial visions of a horse. Have you seen my book?
0: No, no, I haven't actually. I haven't actually, yeah, but I can imagine the aerial visions. It's it's just
1: like a stick line with ears on the top and a little bulge for the neck and the the shoulders and the belly. So when you draw a straight horse and you draw it like that with its ears on top of its straight neck, if you put a circle in and then you draw the stick line of the horse with the ears and the neck, you'll find that really... The neck is very straight. Mm-hmm. The curve comes in the a little bit curvy in the tummy, but we all have too much pulling neck in and abandoning the shoulder on the outside. Mm-hmm. So if I could encourage people to think that they've got two reins that are equal and when they turn, when they're riding the circle, I encourage people to ride it like a bicycle, really, mm-hmm. because I find most people don't, They either bend too much and the shoulder falls out or they don't allow their outside shoulder to go forward enough to allow the horse to actually follow the circle in the way it's supposed to. So all its feet are on the right track. Most people hold the outside rein too strongly and they prevent the horse from actually following the circle. Mm -hmm. So they sort of pull the inside rein to pull the horse's neck in and the hind quarters inadvertently then flip out. So if you look at a person riding a circle, I focus on the inside hind leg and as soon as I see that crossing under the horse's yep. body, then I just glance up to the rider and yes, sure enough, her outside shoulder is not forward following the circle, like she's not looking where she's going, her shoulders aren't really following. Mm -hmm. And it's a really easy thing to ask them just to put that outside rein a bit more forward.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's probably the biggest fault,
0: really. And, you know, I mean, you think of circles. (laughs) They're just so important. You know, everyone's always trying to ride the perfect circle and if that can improve the circle, that's a really good tip for people listening. To, to just go, and next time they're riding, just put yourself on a circle and think about what you've just said.
1: Well, when I tell them to ride like a bicycle, kids are really good. They just go boom and they just ride like a bicycle. Mm. And they look ahead and the horse just goes flowing on the line. Mm-hmm. It's harder to get an adult to allow that rein forward. They say, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and they, they do a better circle if they actually threw the outside rein right away altogether. If they threw both reins away altogether, the horse would do it better. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Really. Yep. yep. <laughs> like, I do get riders to ride with, like, a piece of string. Yes. A piece of rope around the neck. And they carry that rope in their hands like their reins.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's very telling that if you pull back on the rope, you would be pulling back on your reins. Yep. And if you panic and use the rope too much to try to turn, it works against you. So mm-hmm. you end up with the guys just sitting and just carrying their hands forward like really doing nothing and looking on the circle and if you look where you're going, your weight is in the correct spot Mm -hmm. without trying to do anything really. Yep. And the horse follows the circle and if you look down at their neck and you've got no reins that you're (laughs) pulling. Yes. Their neck is straight, really.
2: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And it's definitely
1: they don't have any tilting face. Yes. And they don't have any neck bend in. They just follow the circle.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: But it's hard to do, you've got to have a little bit of courage. Yes, and don't I, get yeah. too frustrated. <laughs> yep, yep.
0: All right. Well, certainly, I think that's something for people to go away and think about and do those exercises. Now, what about books? Because you said before that you know you've learnt a lot from books. You talked about Anthony Paulman's book, "Training Show Jumping." Yes, and you talked about your own book. Are there any other books that you'd like to recommend?
1: That's probably my bible. I'd have to say, Gwyneth, yep. and I don't know whether it's that easy to find now but it was called the basics okay just the basics and it was by a guy called k a von Ziegner, z-i-e-g-n-e-r okay and he's an old he's an older fella yep and it's a guideline for successful training and he has the full training tree in there okay. and It all starts with relaxation, and I've just loved it. The little book is just about worn out. I've highlighted (laughs) everything, and it's got stickers all over it. I lend it to a lot of people, and it's just got, yeah, it's just a fabulous little book. If people can find it Mm -hmm. online, I know that a couple of the girls have said that they can't find it now. It's out of publication, or it's very expensive to get. But if they can...
2: Mm -hmm. It's good I think
1: one. that's a great book for anyone. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It's just training your horse, isn't it? Like it's just educating yes. your beast.
0: yep, yep, for sure, for sure. So
1: and, that's my favourite book.
0: <laughs> good, good. And what are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to now? What does your future hold?
1: Well, I've had so many back operations, and I'm very, very positive that I would always get back on the horse and compete, which I Mm -hmm. did for a while, but now I've reached the stage where I think I just have to be more realistic. So my future now, I want to teach a lot more. I want to show people what they can do with their horses, and I'm training my students now to ride my horses in competition. And I just love it. When I teach someone, Glennis, and they, I have it happen quite a bit, and they cry at the end of the lesson. I go, oh, dear, no, 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 no. And they say, no, I'm crying with happiness because I've been trying to get this. And you explained it so easily, and now I've got it, and it's fabulous. So the more I can help people, help their horses, and have a partnership with their horses, like, like, I've had amazing bonds with my horses. I really have. I've mm-hmm. been blessed to have them. Yep. And if I could do that with other people. So I'd just like to teach an awful lot more. i teach every day if I could.
0: <laughs> yeah. And do you think that you explain things more simply because you learned to ride as an adult?
1: No, I think I only explain it simply because I learned to ride as an Indian. And I have no idea why people <laughs> want to pull these reins so much. And mm-hmm. I don't understand. I think yep. that... Yeah, I don't know. I just believed I could. I just believed in my head that I could. So I think that that believing you can do it is, I don't know. I don't know what was different about me, but I i think I believed too much about the Indians. they They rode out there and they carried their bow and they had their arrows. So reins were not there. And I've been to Europe a lot. Like we led tours to the World Equestrian Games yep. several times. And I've been through several museums and I've seen an awful lot of stuffed horses, Gwyneth. Mm, mm. Stuffed horses. I didn't see a single stuffed wife. <laughs> but they had stuffed horses and their horses had to be, like 100%, they went to war on these horses and they trusted them and they all carried spears and shields. Mm -hmm. So way back then, these guys trained their horses better than we do today. They used their feet and their leg aids and their horses were willing and they were forward. We're trapping too many of our horses with this. The hands are the big problem with the reins now. Like you said at the beginning when we were talking, that people think it's, The head that they've got to worry about, it's it's not the head. It's their balance and their communication and their, I don't know, their love for their horse.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm a bit different.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's been good. It's been quite refreshing. That's Um, good. good. Now, can you just sum up your philosophy into a lesson then, just so that our listeners have got something to think about and, um, yeah, just go over during the day?
1: Okay. If I, if I had to say something, I'd say that when they do things with their horses, I've always thought in a very simple way that I like to ask my horse to do something, like I ask him to bend his neck to the left, and then if he doesn't quite get it, then I show him how to do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not rough, and I'm not hard with it, but I'm very effective with it because we have to ask, and we have to be effective very quickly, yeah. otherwise we're not very good teachers or leaders. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. i found a lot of people probably tell their horse to do it. Like, it's just a different attitude of body. They they yes. tell them, bend. And they're quite assertive and they're, you know, you will bend. And then if they don't, they'll jolly well make them. So I'd like people to ask their horse gently and then show them how to do it, but be effective, instead of mm-hmm. making and telling them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just less is best. If they do less, it's yep. better. Yep. Good. Good.
0: All right. Now Anne, how can people contact you?
1: Well, probably best by (laughs) we don't have mobile range here where we are on the farm, so probably our home landline is a good way Uh or just email. Probably the most Okay. Yeah, email is best probably.
0: And those details will be available on your podcast page, which will be horsechats.com slash Ann Battley. And also, Ann, I'm going to put some details here about how they can get your book as well.
1: Okay. If they go, we've got I've got another website, and it's attached to our farm website, and mm-hmm. there's an equestrian page on it. So the website is just farm, which is mm-hmm. G-E-L-F-R-O, farm, or one word, Dot yep. com. Now if they okay. go into that, there's an equestrian page and down mm-hmm. the bottom of that they'll find the book and they can just, and down the bottom there's a button they can click and just order the book and send me an email with their address and I can post it out. Go from there. Perfect.
0: All right then, Anne, thank you very much and hopefully catch up with you again sometime soon.
1: Well, thank you very much, Bernice. Have a okay. great day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye.